Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. And blessings. And welcome to another installment of the Just for Freedom Estate. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author, Leslie Gitt, and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who, with faith and focus, are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. Well, my name is Tamara Lanier, and I am. I come to you this afternoon from my home community of Norwich, Connecticut, and I am the plaintiff in the Lanier v. Harvard reparations repatriations lawsuit. And our case we originally filed in in March of 2019, and it is still currently pending before the Middlesex Superior Court in Massachusetts as of this as of today. Discovering those images of Papa Renty and seeing them for the first time was a moment that I will take with me to my grave. I, of course, again, now this is the man who has been the subject of many of our bedtime stories, many of our private family moments, and just how my ancestors and my elders just, just, just cherish this man. Uh, I knew in that moment, the moment I locked eyes with him, that that was the paparazzi that I had heard about for my entire life. And, um, you know, one of the things that my children, like my, my youngest daughter says, Mom, he looks like you. Look at the eyes. And, um, you know, we could see family resemblance. And my daughter said something, my oldest daughter said something so very profound because she talked about the stories that my mom told her. Just, you know, she talked about them with such reverence. And the story would always start with a proud black man who they referred to as Paparinti, who was born in Africa and enslaved in uh, a small community outside of Columbia, uh, South Carolina. And so these stories were shared with my mother. My mother, in turn, shared them with me. She shared them with my children. But they were the stories of the patriarch of our family, this man named Rinty, who she referred to as Papa Rinty. She would talk about the unique things, like that he was a learned person. He taught himself to read using Noah Webster's book, The Blueback Speller. And he would teach anyone who had a desire to read at a time that it was illegal to do. And he did this at, you know, at, at, at a personal risk to him because not only, um, firstly, it was illegal, but he could have been killed if it, were made, if it were known that he was literate and teaching others to read at this time. So these were stories that were shared with my mom by her grandfather, who was named after this man. And the other thing that I, I, I like to share with people so that they understand how important this man was to our family 
every generation of children after renting, there is a there is a child named renting in every line of my family, in every generation of my family. And so I, I often talk about the five generations of men named renting, and I share that so that people understand how much this man meant to his children. And I share that also so that Harvard understands that these are not just archives or they're not just relics of slavery. They're they're, they're the images. They're all that we have of the patriarch of our family. Not only the image of Papa Renti, but even more horrific, he discovered that these images were taken for an express purpose. My enslaved ancestors were used as a part of a scientific experiment by Harvard to prove white supremacy, scientific racism, and the this scientific study to use my enslaved ancestors as human data subjects to prove their own inferiority or their inhumanity. And what the scientist Louis Agassiz did, he wanted a pure African because his, his, in his, he theorized that if he had taken a, 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 a black person who had any drop of white blood, that would negate his scientific theory because he wanted to show that a pure African was inferior. But if they had any exposure to white blood, that made them more superior. So he wanted a pure type. So he traveled to South Carolina to the Benjamin Taylor, um, Benjamin Franklin Taylor slave plantation, where he was known to have had some of the last, now remember, and this, the daguerreotypes were taken in 1850, but there was a slave embargo that took a teen 07. So many of the slaves at this point in history were American born, not from Africa and potentially exposed by white blood because of all of the raping of our women. So he had to find pure Africans at a time when there weren't many. He traveled to South Carolina to the plantation where my enslaved ancestors were. And what he did then was he stripped these men and women naked. He measured their body parts. He measured the women's breasts, the buttocks. He measured the men, the genitalia, everything, and he pointed to these stark examples to prove that this is a human. And they used my enslaved ancestors to promote this thing. The problem was, my oral history about this man, this man was educated. He was, you know, he was literate. He not only knew how to read, he knew how to write, and he taught others. So, he was a family carpenter. After the end of slavery, and the records all bear this out, Renty migrated from Charleston, South Carolina, to Montgomery, Alabama, and he reunited with other parts of his family. And his family was dispersed amongst the slaveholders' children. The slaveholders' children migrated to Mount Meg, Montgomery, Alabama, and there you see Renty. And then in the census, you see these families coming together. And I said, look at God, that is so amazing. Because despite the intentions of slavery, my, my family 
was able to reunite. Subjects that Harvard used to promote the scientific racism actually negated the theory in its entirety. And so as I discover this, I'm reaching out to Harvard and saying, Harvard, hold up, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, you when you talk about these daguerreotypes, you're promoting them on an international platform. You're having live stream symposiums all over the world, but you're spreading a fake and false myth about who these enslaved people were. Here is my documentation. Here is my proof that this man is my great-great-grandfather, and he is not at all what you or Louis Agassiz purported him to be. Correct this narrative. Tell that this man's truth. And every time I approached Harvard about telling the truth about who this man was and giving him back his dignity, I was dismissed and I was ignored. Harvard has hired researchers from all over the world to dispute my story and to come up with an alternative theory of who Rinty is. But you know what? I, I, I say facts are stubborn things, and Harvard, no matter how much money or influence you have, the fact is that this man is my grandfather, and no matter how hard you try, you can't dispute that. Irregardless of all the factual information that I had to prove the contrary. Not only that, even after we filed the complaint, they publish books creating these false narratives as to who these people are. Because historically, we have never been captured in history in our true personas, in our, as to who we truly were. How we know about who we were is through oral history, it's through slave narratives. Because we, the books have never captured who we were and told our stories. They told, they tell these stories in the way they want us to be and how they want us to appear. And that's why we have to recover and recapture our stories and tell our own stories about telling the truth and showing the devil. Because again, we've never, the country, this country has never taken responsibility for what it's done. And, 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 and but there will be no peace. There will be no reconciliation on this issue until they do the right thing. And I believe that this generation, they call Generation X, whatever generation they're talking to young people now, they are motivated in ways that I have never seen before. So when you start looking in your family tree and tracing back and finding these amazing stories, and depending on the circumstances, you can then go and say, like the family in, in, in L.A. with the beachfront property. It's a funded property. So, like, you know, they're, you know, like you see the story of KS, KFC and uh, Jack Daniels, Henrietta Lacks. You know, we had property. We had intellectual property. We had things that were funded from us, farms farmland, and, you know, how they ran many families off. But if you start going back and digging in your family history and discovering these things and then going to the person, I want my family's property back. Right. So then we have a conversation about a transference of wealth that never happened because of all of the broken promises and the legislation that was in place to keep us enslaved and to keep us disenfranchised. But now you have an opportunity to turn the table and say, hey, 
This is plundered property. The 13th and 14th Amendment of the Constitution talks about badges of slavery and things that happened because of slavery and how people have now gone on and become unjustly enriched from the suffering of our ancestors. And we say, hey, we want our property back. And that was one of the things that, you know, the slave index and the wills of the slaveholders, um, when they identified my family, by one of my ancestors, he noted that he was a family carpenter. Uh-huh. And I had the privilege. Uh, I I traveled to South Carolina. I, I was able through a friend to locate. But when I sat down at the table, the first thing he said is, you were sitting at a table that was hand-carved by the Taylor family slave. So I had a whole moment because I knew in my research I had the probate. Well, my ancestor was identified as the Taylor family carpenter. So I'm like, oh, my God. I am sitting in 2020, I think this was in 2021, that was hand-carved by my enslaved ancestor. And this is when we talk about relics of slavery and cultural property and our kinship with it. That table had so much significance to me because I knew it was hand-carved by my enslaved ancestor, but it probably had no value to the slaveholders' children and, and descendants. And, and I just remember being stuck in that moment um, and, and thinking about what this table means to me and that it meant nothing to the man who owned it. Yes. So in 1998, I believe it was, the, the, you know, and, and, and not only Obama, but Joe Biden was the vice president at the time, and he was actually commissioned to do this. But mm-hmm. there was a conference. It was called the Washington Conference Principles, or the Washington Conference. They brought nations from all over the world together here to come to D.C. to talk about how to ensure that the ugly incident of the Holocaust never happens again and what they can do to improve the quality of life for the Holocaust victims and to make them whole. This happened in Washington Conference. You can Google it. And they had, the, and, and out of this conference, they, these nations from all over the world had to ultimately agree to go back home and legislate laws that would ensure that the the victims of the Holocaust are made whole. And so later, I want to say this was in 2016 when this law passed. It's called the HERE Act, the Holocaust Expropriated Art and Recovery Act, signed by President Obama, a campaign by then-Vice President Joe Biden. But the goal was to, again, acknowledge the harm caused by the Holocaust and take every measured step to ensure that it never happened again and to make these victims and their lineal descendants whole. And so what it did was it challenged museums and people who curated and other institutions, go through your property. If you have any cultural property of Jewish people, you have give it back. It was funded property to give it back. They suspended statutes of limitations. They, it suspended also the issue of standing and how to bring these cases before the court. And these things, this was 
this was legislation that was passed unanimously in both houses. I mean, in both the House and the Senate. I, I happened to meet Congressman John Conyers, and he was a speaker at an NAACP event. Um, but the one thing he said to me, he said, every year in September, I host a reparations workshop with the Congressional Black Caucus in Michigan. And I can tell you every year after that conversation, I have gone to that conference and I have participated or I was there for those workshops. And in that workshop is where I actually connected with Attorney Ben Crump. And I had an opportunity, this is later on, but I, I when I when I met with Ben, Ben was the keynote for another work of another panel. And um at, at at the end of his discussion I go up to get a picture and you know, we're fumbling taking the selfie and I'm telling him about my battle with Harvard and and, and, and you know, he then takes an interest. I credit Congressman John Conyers for encouraging me to come to this event because had I not, I never would have been able to connect with an attorney who's not afraid to challenge one of the most powerful academic institutions in the world. The problem was, in my home community, I can't even get five minutes of my congressman's time. <laughs> but, you know, and, and I just, you know, That's like, it's for, it is, it is. Uh, my congressman, uh, you know, like a, for the HERE Act, Senator Blumenthal, Richard Blumenthal, is the man who, who who was a sponsor of this legislation. I reached out to his office years ago and I said, here's the same exact scenario because the case that they championed and used to promote the HERE Act was of a Jewish woman by the name of Maria Altman who found that that, that uh, property belonging to her aunt was owned by an Austrian government, and they took it because of the Holocaust, and she wanted it back. This country helped her get it back from Austria. And I said, well, here I am, I, and Harvard has cultural property of my enslaved ancestors. You know, it's the same issues. Can we have the same kind of legislative campaign to protect our cultural property? Uh, they didn't see it very much in the same way, and uh, just personally, not interested. Um, so I, you know, I won't give up pushing. You know, when I do go, like in September, I went to the Congressional Black Caucus conference again. There were, you know, two years because of COVID, it was virtual. But you know, I, I approached lawmakers and I said. You, because it was unanimous, you voted for these things to protect the descendants of the Holocaust. Here's the same, we are equally situated. This is a the same scenario. Can you support legislation that will protect the cultural property of the descendants of slaves? Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.